Today's, I want to talk on uh, something I've entitled The Importance of Being Children. Um, and I want to encourage us all that God really seems to be speaking to us at the moment about children and his kingdom. Because a few weeks ago, Rob spoke on raising up prophetic children and then on the mother heart of God. Last week, Becky shared her heart on encountering the kingdom and lessons we can learn from children. And it's a bit like God has had a mini-series for us. Uh, as this week, I'm going to be sharing something that God has been speaking to me about, children and his kingdom. Um, I am going to repeat things that have been said over the last few weeks, but I make no apologies for that, because when God speaks something three or four times, then I am in absolute no doubt that we need to be taking note, and we need to sit up and um, really hear what God is saying to us. Uh, Becky, Rob and I, just to say, didn't plan any of this. We haven't sat down together and thought, I know, we'll all talk on the same thing. Um, we've all gone individually to Rob, and Rob's gone, well, actually, I think that as well, and it's just amazing how it's, how it's come about. Um, this might come a little bit out of the blue for someone in church who is known for worship leading, uh, to be speaking about children and the kingdom. Surely worship and the kingdom would have been a little bit more appropriate and a bit more obvious, but I really believe that God's been speaking to me uh, since January, and actually way, way, way before then, uh, about my identity, who I am, and to be honest, it's a little bit like God's been chipping away at me, and actually, only with hindsight, looking back, I can really see that I've been completely undone by God in this area, quietly and gently, in the way that God knows I like things to be done. Um, you see, before Anna was born three years ago, or nearly three years ago, um, I think my wife Kate had never really seen me get emotional. Maybe once or twice she'd seen me cry in, what, seven years of marriage, six years of marriage, and even before then. Um, I just didn't cry about anything. Um, if it was sad, I'd be sad, and I'd feel sad, but I wouldn't cry. And this wasn't a particularly bad thing to me. I didn't really, didn't really bother me. But after Anna was born, it was like the floodgates completely opened. Um, I remember I was on paternity leave, and I was watching an episode of The Secret Millionaire, uh, the one where The Secret Millionaire, you know, um, goes to a charities and organisations and then decides how much money they're going to give at the end. I'd seen it before. I had seen that episode before. I knew exactly what was going to happen. I knew exactly the way that they were going to give the money. And I knew exactly the reactions of the people. And I sobbed and sobbed as I came downstairs. And it was just bizarre. I just didn't really understand why. And Kate sits there and often looks at me now if we're watching a film or watching something teary. And she'll look at me and she'll go, you're going, aren't you? And I'm like, no, no, I'm not going. Um, but... So I really believe that God is softening me and really softening me for, for, for bringing this message and other things that I'm doing in my life as well. I feel like a real weight actually over this week uh, to bring this message. It's not going to be the tidiest preach, um, but God's really spoken to me about this and there's, there's a heart that I want to share. Uh, it's really interesting. This morning I was in the kitchen and I was just tidying up from breakfast and I, I suddenly had this wave over me of, you're not worthy enough to preach this. And it was like this voice in my ear, and it was really interesting. I'll come on to a little bit. But um, it was I just had to reaffirm, actually, no, who I am in Christ, and it just disappeared. And it was incredible that, I don't know, I'm, I'm really excited, I hope you can tell, <laughs> about what he's going to, God is going to do today. Um, I really believe that this is a message for Jubilee, and I think it's a message for lots of other churches as well around the country. There's lots of this kind of stuff going on, uh, really getting to grips with this. And 
Going back to the January thing, I attended a YFC conference, uh, Youth for Christ, as part of my work, and I heard a guy called Wes Stafford speak. He's the uh, outgoing CEO of the Child Sponsorship Compassion Network, and uh, he had a really profound impact on me, and he opened his heart for children, and through this, God has really continued what he started doing in me over the last few months and years. And I really hope today that we're going to see the importance of children to God, the importance of us welcoming them, and also the vital role that they play in the kingdom. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get into it. So Father, I thank you. I thank you for children. I thank you for who they are and how you've made them. I thank you for their growth and their development. I just pray, Lord, that as we look at your heart for children today, that you would stir our hearts, that we would be even partly undone by you today. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that your Holy Spirit is already evidently amongst us. And I pray that it would continue to increase your presence in this place as we speak and as we hear what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to start in Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 to 14. Now, if you don't know these verses off by heart yet, Um, because we've looked at them quite a bit. Hopefully, you will soon. Um, And much of this first point is a complete reminder of of what Becky said last week, but it's just an emphasis, and there's a real urgency, I think, for for, for us to hear this. So I'm going to read the whole of Matthew 18, verses 1 to 14. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. For whoever humbles themselves like this child is the greatest in the kingdom. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lamed than with the two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life and with one eye than with two eyes and be thrown into the hell into the hell of fire since that you do not see that you do not despise one of these little ones for i tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven what do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray and if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine who were never astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. The context to this passage is Jesus' disciples have witnessed many healings, many wonderful signs. In the previous chapter we read about the transfiguration where Jesus is seen with Elijah and Moses on a mountain. And when he returns from the mountain, he finds the disciples, who weren't with him, trying to cast a demon out of a young boy and failing. Jesus appears frustrated, to say the least. I think uh, the words he says is... um, uh, 
something like, um, oh dear, hang on, got it. Twisted and faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? I think that he's frustrated at what they're doing and he, he casts the demon out for them. Then he performs a miracle with a coin in the mouth of a fish and, and now we arrive at this point and the disciples are arguing about who is the greatest in the kingdom. Mark and Luke, uh, when they talk about this scenario, definitely describe this as an argument. And it's clear that Mark 9, 33 to 34, where Mark tells this story, they've been discussing this question on the way to Capernaum, which is about 20 miles of arguing, I think I've worked out uh, using this. So it's quite a big argument that they've had. And they kept it quiet from Jesus as well uh, until, until they come to this point. And Jesus stands a child in front of them. He picks up a child, puts it down, and says, truly I say to you, unless you turn, or unless you change, it says in some translations, and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, children were incredibly low in society. They had too much trust in things, they were vulnerable, and they needed constant help from parents. They were not seen as very important, and adults were seen as much better because they had a certain amount of mistrust. You know, they didn't trust everything that went on, and they were not as vulnerable, and uh, they needed little or no support from anyone. They were incredibly self-sufficient. Um, but we know from hearing about the kingdom over the last few months and this season is that it's an upside-down kingdom. Jesus completely turns it upside-down, and he says the humility that this child is showing in distrust, the vulnerability, and the fact that they know they're in need And he says that these three things are the greatest in the kingdom. Now, children are still like this. You know, this isn't something that has has gone and, you know, children are no longer vulnerable. And I see this from my work placement as well. I think I would add young people into this as well. They put a lot of trust in things sometimes, in the wrong things. They can be incredibly vulnerable. And actually, they still need support from their parents, no matter how much they think they don't. Um, so when you hear children throughout this, also add young people in their teenagers and that kind of thing. So children are really important to God in the kingdom. And if we needed any further evidence of this, we can read a little bit further down in verses 10 to 14. It says, See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my father, who is in heaven. Now, this verse always confused me when I was younger. I was always a bit like, well, this has kind of come from nowhere. And actually looking into it now, many scholars have really debated this. And what does this mean? The angels in heaven, their angels in heaven, always see the face of my father. And the most satisfactory way of describing this, and given the fact that the Jewish way of speaking at the time, is it refers to guardian angels of children. According to two theologians, Davis and Allison, who've written loads and loads on this, these guardian angels of children are of the highest rank, indicating their special place before God. So verse 14, a bit further down, says, It's not the will of my Father in heaven that any of these little ones should perish. They've got such a special place in heaven that their angels see the face of God constantly. And Jesus then continues to tell this story of the lost sheep. Don't forget the child is still in the room at this time, in front of the disciples. 
And this story is often referred to for those who are not yet saved or those who have wandered away from their belief. But it just seems to me there's something bigger in this, in the context of children. And if we hear that, what do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray? Does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the 99 who were never astray. So it is not the will of my father that any of these little ones should perish. This indicates to me that the lost sheep who the shepherd will leave his entire flock for is a child, is one who is low in society. I think that children are still seen as quite low in society. They certainly have a lot more rights now than they have ever had before. But they're still often seen as an inconvenience and you only have to look at the news to see just how vulnerable they are. We've got Becky Watts in Bristol, Alice Gross in London, April Jones from a few years ago in Wales. The vulnerability of children is still so huge in society. And I heard on the radio this week that teenagers especially are still the butt of many jokes. They're still constantly joked about, often harangued and demonised in the media. And this wouldn't be acceptable for any other society, a group in society. But for some reason, our culture still thinks it's okay to kind of look at a teenager and go, well, you just mope around and grunt. Sometimes they do. But actually, there's so much more that teenagers can give to us and that we can learn from them. But we still constantly put them down as a society. But Jesus flips this and says, the greatest are the least. And this is the first point, is that the greatest are the least. We can gain, even just from this one passage, that children are really important to God. Jesus emphasizes that the greatest are the least through what he says directly and through the parable. He calls us to change and become like little children. The word change or turn is a complete rethink of a cultural society. This idea that adults were self-sufficient, well, yeah, but actually you need to become dependent. We should be like children. And if we want to be like these children, then this means God is looking for those who trust him, those who have a complete vulnerability before him, and are completely reliant on him for everything. No self-sufficiency. We can learn from children's natural humility. You see, I see my little girl, Anna. She trusts me. She's also incredibly vulnerable. Only last weekend, we were away from my mum's birthday and she slipped on tiles in the house we were in and, and caught her lip on the bottom step and dug her teeth and it was horrible, blood everywhere. But this showed her vulnerability. And who did she go running to? To Kate and to me. Her reliance was on the two of us to comfort her. So there's a lesson for us that through seeing, through seeing that God places children and the, as the, and the lowest and the, as the highest, the lowest, the greatest are the least. We also need to receive the kingdom like a child, powerless, vulnerable, thirsty for God with a complete dependence on him. The greatest are the least. So let's be like them. Let's be like the children that Jesus is talking about. You see, children are very important to God. I'm going to keep repeating that because it is just so important that we get that because of their status as the greatest in the kingdom. So what response should we have as a church and individuals to this revelation that actually, oh, okay, if we're to be like children, what should we do? And Jesus lays out some pretty serious points in verses 4 to 9. He says, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom. 
Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, but whoever causes one of these little ones to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. So the word receives here, whoever receives a child, is is a word that the root comes from take into the family. Whoever takes into the family one of these children. We could also substitute, I think, the word child for anyone else low in society. How do we take the low in society into our church? Steve challenged us quite a while ago to keep in mind what God is doing amongst us with the broken and the poor. And who are we going to see in our church? Jubilee is called to be a church that is to bring restoration, accepting those into the family who are vulnerable and need support. And Jesus gives a stark warning to those who don't accept her, or in his words, cause one of these little ones to stumble or to sin. In some translations it says stumble, and that means to impede or to block the way, put something in the way for someone to stumble over. It's a bit like an athlete. If you threw something in their way, they'd stumble and they'd go. It would be better for those ones who cause little ones to stumble for a millstone, the great millstone, a great millstone. That's the bottom millstone. I don't know about you, how much you know about Jewish um, and, and the Hebrew uh, way of, of making flour. Um, I don't know a lot, but I've looked it up. And um, there's a, so they, they, everyone had a, their own little millstone at home. Okay, so a little bit like a hand mixer, or well, some people did. It wasn't that millstone. There's the millstone that the ox pushes, and the great millstone is the one that's on the floor. It's the one that would take about three or four, maybe even five people to lift. So to put that round your neck would require your village to do it. It would require your whole community to shame you, throw that round your neck, and throw yourself into the sea. And we know from historical records that the sea was not a particularly welcomed place by those people in the time. They saw it with a lot of suspicion. Crucifixion was around. That was horrific. Why didn't Jesus just say you'd be crucified? Because this would have meant shame. Your community would have had to have put the millstone around their neck. And do you know what? That would have left them without a flour millstone. And they wouldn't have been able to make their flour. It's utterly unthinkable to the people listening that this, this, this is what you would do to yourself. And I'm not sure whether this was meant to have been taken literally. Joe Williams, again, a few weeks ago, taught us excellently on, on this, the, the next few verses about cutting off feet and hands. And it was actually just meant to be an extreme. This is the extreme nature that this would have to be dealt with. But actually, well, there is grace, but Jesus would... <laughs> It's that whole thing, isn't it, of that is as far as you would have to go. But Jesus covers it all with his grace and what he did at the cross later on and what he was going to do at the cross here. But needless to say, this was an incredibly serious matter for Jesus, that this unthinkable thing would have to happen. So what are these stumbling blocks that we can put in the way of children and young people and those others who are vulnerable? I think we could think of some really obvious stumbling blocks Abuse in several different ways, spiritual, sexual, emotional, just the horrific things that we see and we hear about. Well, I certainly do in the, in the lines of work that I'm in. Just horrific things. Yes, that's definitely a stumbling block. Restricting access to Christian events. I've come across that quite a bit when I was uh, youth working elsewhere. You know, the fact that, oh, well, no, you've got a lot of stuff on. Don't go there because that's a Christian event and it's not really necessary. <laughs> I'd much prefer my child to go to a Christian event you can you can tell me this when she's older then you know do something else that they uh, that I want them to do overbearing leadership oh, you're too young for that i'm sorry you can't do that there's no way you could do that i hear that 
removing a child's confidence and belief that they can hear and interact with God. You're too young to hear from God, I'm sorry. And Rob preached on that a few weeks ago excellently. This is how we can help our young people, brazen young people in the prophetic. But I just wonder whether we can miss a completely other way where we can inadvertently put stumbling blocks in the way. Because I know for one, I'm, you know, these things are obvious, but I just wonder whether there's another way that we can do this. And in my role with young people, I often see and hear some things that really trouble me deep down, especially since God's been undoing me in this area. And actually, it really upsets me sometimes. In fact, sometimes I can't go into school because I actually find it difficult to look in the faces of some of the young people and see the hurt and the lost look on their faces. Now, not all of them. you know, Some of them are, are, are really excited, but some of them are hurting so much. And just an example from a colleague of mine when they were seeing a young girl the other week. This girl was doing an exercise where positive words were being swapped for negative ones. She stated that she actually couldn't cope with the words that my colleague was speaking over her positively because she'd never had anything positive said to her in her life. She even stated that she'd not really heard her parents say that they loved her, except when she thought that they were doing it out of duty. And I think the main stumbling block that is put in the way of children and young people is an attack on their identity. Again, we've heard so much about identity recently, and it's something that we need to be constantly reminded of. We are children of God. We're ambassadors for him. This is what I was doing this morning when I felt like this was something I couldn't do today. New creations, completely loved, we're accepted, we're hidden with Christ. But here's the point. We may not be part of the stumbling block directly. My colleague and the work that I do and have done in the past didn't attack the young people and their identity. We don't do that. But have we have not helped to restore it in some way, then would we not have been placing a stumbling block in their way by turning the, turning away and saying, oh, well, never mind. We would have been causing a stumbling block by our silence. Verse 10 says, do not despise one of these little ones. That means to think nothing of them. If you despise something, you think nothing of them. So Jesus says, see that you do not think nothing of these young people, of these little ones, of these ones who God sees as the most important. Do not despise them. Go after them. Jesus explains in the parable of the lost sheep that the, the shepherd will leave his flock. He is almost compelled to do so. And as a church, we need to be helping to build the identity of those who are in our wider family in the church. Absolutely quite right. Building the identity of the church and the people in there. But we're also called to be a church that stands up for justice. It's no good saying that we receive or we take into our family our own children and vulnerable when outside there is a world desperate and hurting and they're desperate to have someone standing up for them. We need to go looking for them. We need to take the example of Jesus and go looking for the lost little ones. Not thinking nothing of them or despising them, but going after them and showing them that they have worth. There are some incredible organizations out there working with young people and children through their difficulties. I've worked for some of them. They're great. When you're faced with a family situation where the child is sitting listening to a barrage of negativity from their parents, he'll never amount to anything. Oh, he's rubbish. Oh, no wonder you're around to see him. Who's going to stand up for them? 
Who's going to stand up for the child who's being abused and doesn't know where to turn to? Who's going to stand up when you see your neighbour throw their child into the car in a fit of rage? Who's going to show justice to, to, to welcoming someone into the family who's been so hurt by everything around them that the only way they can cope is to damage their own bodies? Who's going to stand up for the girl who comes in to school who's been beaten up by her boyfriend? Who's going to stand up for the young lad who comes into school? I can go on and on and on with all these real scenarios that I've seen and heard. Children are important to God. They are important to us also. You see, organizations out there can help, but we are the church and we are the hope on earth. We are the ambassadors of Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit working in us and through us. We know the power of transformed lives. Here we are. We know what Jesus can do. We need to think of something of these little ones. We need to think something of these little ones and help them discover and understand who they are, no matter what people say about them. No matter whether they have got barrages of negativity coming at them from every direction, help remove, or at least not place another stumbling block in their way. So who's going to stand up for them? Who will leave the flock? You see, shepherds often asked a friend. Historically, there's, there's this evidence to say that shepherds would ask a friend to look after the 99. So it's not like they left them completely on their own. But the 99 would not enough for the shepherd are we going to be the ones who sit and think we've got enough on our plates here oh crikey have you seen what we've got to do in the church we need to go looking for it we're not going to turn a blind eye and say because if we do are we not just saying oh well there's one little one lost never mind (laughs) try again next time i can't do that It angers me, it pains me, it frustrates me when I have to stop seeing a young person at school because of one reason or another. And I sit there thinking, I haven't finished. I haven't finished yet. And okay, I sit there and I'm like, okay, Lord, you know where this is going. You know what's happening. But I can't be the one who sits there and just turns away and goes, I'm not looking at that. We can't do it. I can't do it. I don't know whether you agree with me. (laughs) Because it is not the will of God that any of these little ones be lost. And I know maybe people out there sitting and thinking, you can't change the world, though. There's only a few of us here. We can't change the entire world. But I once heard a story of a starfish which really impacted me. And it was a story of a guy walking along a beach. And there were starfish everywhere, dying and drying in the sun. And he was picking them up and throwing them back in the sea one by one. There were hundreds of thousands of starfish. And this guy came alongside him and says, you can't make a difference. And he said, it did to that one. And it did to that one. And that's the kind of mentality I want to have. Yes, oh my goodness. We can't change the world, just a few of us. But we can change the world for one person and another person and another person. I never thought I'd be quoting Mother Teresa, but here we go. She said, we know only too well what we are doing is nothing more than a drop in the ocean, but... If the drop were not there, the ocean would be missing something. We're missing something. We're always missing something. This isn't a negative preach of, we're not doing hard enough. We're always missing something. Because there's still lost out there to be found. The lowest are important to God, 
We need to think something of them and not despise them and go after them. I've got a very brief interlude here because I'm aware I've been quite heavy. Um, (laughs) Children are really important to God. We need to imitate them. Therefore, children are important to us. But I just want to quickly highlight, if you flick over to Matthew 19, um, it's really, really interesting here. It's one page on in the Bible, not far on in the ministry of Jesus from this point where we're talking. And it says in verse 13, Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray, and the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. um, Yeah, two chapters ago, Jesus was calling them a faithless and twisted generation. And he's just stood a child in front of them, giving them this incredible eye-opening moment of what it's like to be a child and how that is what it's like to be the kingdom of, you know, that's what the greatest in the kingdom looks like. And here he is again telling the disciples that you need to be like a child to enter the kingdom of heaven. And they start to rebuke the children and they've turned them away and they've put stumbling blocks in their way. And I sense that if Jesus needs to repeat this message, then uh, maybe that's why we're hearing it again as well. Um, so, uh, I'm going to say it again. Children are important to God. (laughs) And uh, whilst they're often seen as the least, they are definitely the greatest in God's eyes. And we should imitate them. If this is the case, then we should not despise them, but lift them up and give them value to go after, stand up for them. So what is their place in the kingdom? Why, Why should we be like them? Why is Jesus so stark in his warning? And I kind of felt I couldn't finish this without thinking, well, why? Um, I don't get this. You know, Anna's very short and, you know, she can't read, she can't write. Well, I don't understand what the, what this is. And we need to start by looking at when Jesus cleanses the temple in chapter 21 of Matthew. Now today is, um, Palm Sunday. And this event happens just after Palm Sunday, just after Jesus enters into Jerusalem, riding on his colt or his donkey. Cloaks and leaves are waved and thrown about. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then verse 12 says, And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. Tables have been set up for the use of changing money to buy sacrifices for the coming Passover feast. Jesus was angry that the house of prayer, which was for all nations, his house of prayer was for all nations, had been turned into a den of robbers. And um, some some schools of thought out there that, that think it was because the Gentiles in particular were being restricted from being in the outer court of the temple. And that just angered Jesus even more. It was a place for everyone to be. So he turned over the tables, he healed the sick, and oh, there's the children in this place where all should be still crying out, Hosanna to the son of David. And the chief priests were indignant, it says. In verse 16, it says, they said to him, do you hear what they are saying? And Jesus says to them, yep, have you never read that out of the mouths of infants and nursing babes, you have prepared praise? The children were leading the singing from Psalm 8. That's a quote directly from Psalm 8. 
It says this, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. There's a translation that's recently out called the Passion Translation of the Bible. And it's, uh, well, it's a translation of the Psalms. It's called uh, Poetry on Fire, I think is the name of the book. And this is Psalm 8, according to this. It's, it's a paraphrase, but it's it based heavily on the, uh, on the original language of Hebrew. Lord, your name is so great and powerful. People everywhere see your splendor. Your glorious majesty streams from the heavens, filling the earth with the fame of your name. You have built a stronghold by the songs of babies. Strength rises up with the chorus of singing children. This kind of praise has the power to shut Satan's mouth. Childlike worship will silence the madness of those who oppose you. And here's the point. (laughs) Children... Singing establishes strength to still and quiet the enemy. The singing of children and babies and infants and maybe those who are low and weak in society establishes a stronghold, a strength which silences the mouth of Satan. Jesus used this whole passage to show that he was the Messiah, that he is the one that out of the mouth of children would come forth one who would shut Satan's mouth. He was using it as a prophetic statement, but the prophetic statement, I believe, continues on. Let the children sing the praises of Jesus, and the enemy will be stilled. See, I was in my car the other day. I'd just been to the park with Anna, and a track from the King's Arms CD came on. If you've ever heard it, it's a pretty good CD. The line in track four repeats, Even though I walk through the valley of, even though I walk through the valley, you will be my guide. Even though I walk through darkness, you will be my light. Anna was sat in the back and started joining in with the words, because it's quite repetitive, and singing the ladies' part over the top, lots of spontaneous singing and lots of uh, singing in the spirit on the CD. And the presence of God filled the car in the most powerful way. Now, I'm not the kind of guy who stands here every week and goes, the presence of God was amazing. It was amazing in that car. We were stuck on the Stratford Road, not going anywhere. We've been through Shirley recently, you'll understand. You just sit sometimes and don't go anywhere. And it was like the whole of the shops and the shopping centre and the rest of the road just disappeared. And it was just us in the car, just singing, even though I walk through the valley, you will be my guide. Anna will often be at the back during worship, uh, dancing and singing, and generally trying to get out of a pew. But it is incredible when she sings. She seems to sing non-stop at home. That was one thing that we, we kind of thought the other day. She just sings as she walks around the house. She makes songs up. She sings sometimes stuff that you just think, what are you singing? Like, it's just so, that's just so random. But she's singing. And out of the mouths of children and babies comes songs that still the enemy. And sometimes I think when we come to church, she's getting distracted and, oh, she's crying or she's kicking off or she's doing something here, there and everyone. I'm thinking, oh, I'm such a bad parent because I'm, she needs to do something in church that means she's learning something. And actually, this is the lesson that I'm learning. Just bringing her to church to enjoy being here is fine. If she goes home and she wants to come back because of a positive experience of church, perfect. If she sings and helps silence the enemy while she's here, Even better. That's amazing. 
Let the children sing. Let the babies gurgle. They're so important to Jesus. Why? Because they silence the mouth of the enemy. And this is why they should be important to us and why we should welcome them to our family. They're vulnerable to the enemy's tactics. If he knows that they're doing this, he's going to shut them down. He's going to cause them not to sing, cause them not to know their identity. Oh my goodness, I was doing the garden yesterday morning. Just throw that in there. And, um, <laughs> and I heard on Radio 4, just throw that in there again, that um, they were talking about the, 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 choir, the choir who can't sing or something like that. The, people, the choir made up of people who can't sing. And it's basically a choir that's been set up for people who've been told they can't sing. And this one woman on there said, I used to love singing in Christmas carols at church. I used to love going to church and singing Christmas carols. And then one day, my mum turned around and went, oh, it was like it was a drone in here, wasn't there? She didn't sing again for the rest of her life until she met these people. Her husband was a choir master. She didn't sing for him. She didn't sing at all. She wouldn't even sing in the kitchen to herself because of that one word. And she said, I had nothing against my mother. She was great. I loved my mum. But just those one words shut me down. He's going to cause children not to sing, cause them to lose their identity and not to know it. I see it all the time. Young people coming in, not knowing who they are or what they're doing or where they're at. And that's sometimes kids as well, who church kids I see. Stand for them and let them sing. And oh, if we're going to be like them, let's sing with childlike abandonment too. Imagine what we could do by being childlike and singing. I think Claire put something on Facebook of what happened at TSM, people going crazy with flags. I often sit there and I think, Whoo. but actually <laughs> sitting there with this and thinking childlike abandonment. Yeah, actually children just don't care. They will sing. Anna will sing who knows what around the house as she makes up songs. Brilliant. I never want to shut her down and tell her to stop. Imagine what we could do by building a stronghold and stilling the enemy. So Jesus does the simple act of standing a child in front of the disciples and telling them they're to change and become like one. In doing so, he challenges their adult viewpoint on the world with their suspicion, their self-sufficiency that often comes with adulthood and a comfortable lifestyle. It is a message that we can't ignore as we see children and those who are vulnerable, that they are the greatest, even though they are the least. And we're challenged that we're not to despise this attitude of humility in a childlike faith. We're not to think nothing of the children who God so evidently sees as important, but to go after them. Both build them up and protect them and help correct the lies of the enemy. All of this is because children and their voices build up a stronghold against the enemy. And from all, and and from all this, (laughs) we are to be childlike and learn from them. Sing like them. Rely on God in the way that they so heavily rely on others. So the church is a force where the gates of hell can never prevail.